0: Well good morning, welcome to Christian Life Academy. We are starting today a new chapter, chapter five, which as hopefully you all now have your outlines if you need them, which is of divine providence. And uh, you're gonna see this has seven paragraphs uh, that we will work our way through divine providence. And we are gonna read some passages uh, that are a little bit longer uh, because we wanna see this explained. This is a doctrine that uh, as all, every single doctrine that we cover, is, uh, questioned, um, in some, uh, denominations outright reject it. Um, and this is one of those that, uh, usually you'll see different denominations will focus more on free will and they will want to discount this. And, uh, so that obviously becomes a problem, particularly for people who believe, uh, that God is sovereign. And, uh, that's basically what the confessions approach is, is that God is sovereign. And, uh, Uh, there are many, many, as you're going to see, scripture references that prove this over and over again. So what we tend to think is that God kind of has a big plan, and he, you know, kind of every once in a while just course corrects, keeps things going, and if something happens, whoa, got to course correct that, and uh, that's just flat out unscriptural. If there is a uh, reaction that God has to make because he's surprised he's not God. If he doesn't know what's going to happen, he's not God. If he's not the one who actually orchestrates things, he's not God. We'll see that through the scriptures. In fact, I'm going to go through the introduction here. But if you, when you're ready, if you have your Bible with you and you turn in the scriptures to Psalm 104, we are going to read Psalm 104 in its entirety um, in just a couple of minutes. All right. So first of all, we covered this in the last two chapters as well because chapters 3, 4, and 5 all deal with God's decrees. Chapter 3 was a focus on the decrees of God and the decree of election. Um, then we see in chapter 4 the focus on creation. And then in number 5, where we are starting today, focus on divine providence. So creation, of course, is the first of God's decrees to be executed, that means carried out, although it follows the decree of election. Why? The decree of election was before time. We saw that in scripture. We looked at that when we went through that chapter. Election happened before time began, before creation. Multiple scriptures that say that specifically. We don't have to derive that from scriptures. They say that specifically, so we know that that's true. So... Creation, became because creation included the creation of time and of matter and of the existence that we live in, uh, that was then the first decree that was actually carried out. From then, we get into divine providence, which is where we're at. The Baptist Catechism in question 14 defines divine providence as God's most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. So that's a very succinct answer of what is divine providence when we talk about it. John Calvin in his Institutes on the Christian Religion said, at the outset then, let my readers grasp that providence means not that by which God idly observes from heaven what takes place on earth, but that by which as keeper of the keys he governs all events. He governs all events. Now, Often providence is referred to as God's sovereignty, but sovereignty is actually a positional reference to his dominion as sovereign ruler of the universe. It's more accurately described, providence is, as God's governance and care over or provision for all of creation. So there is a difference between sovereignty and providence. Sovereignty is his position. He is sovereign. He is king. He is over all. Providence is his orchestration of all his orchestration of all now this doctrine should in general give us great comfort it should also move us to stop complaining or crying about life why God's in control God's in control we should start with that God is in control our life is in God's control start with that right God's in control. Then, when you say, oh, I can't, this is terrible, this is horrible, why is this happening? I don't like this. I wish this was different. What? God's in control. So, who are you questioning? God. Right? I mean, if, you, if you're complaining about something, who are you questioning? God. So, what about when I'm hammering a nail and I hit myself in the thumb? And I get mad. Well, you shouldn't. God's in control of that. And we don't think that small, usually, do we? But that's the truth. What about when a loved one dies? God's in control. God's in control. Going to a funeral tomorrow. 44-year-old cousin. Died of a heart attack. He couldn't have added a moment to his life. He couldn't have subtracted a moment from his life. Why? Because God's in control. That's it. That's it. So we should view things differently in life than non-believers. Because it's not fate that's controlling things. It's God that's controlling things. It's not just, this is just the way things were going to turn out eventually. It's God is in control. All right. Why don't you follow along with me, if you would, while I read Psalm 104. Psalm 104. And look for, as we read it, look for... God being in control. See if you could pick it out in here. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord, my God, thou art very great, thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who coverest thyself with light as with a garment, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters, who maketh the clouds his chariot, who walketh upon the wings of the wind, who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers of flaming fire, who laid the foundations of the earth that it might not be removed forever. Thou coveredst it with deep, as with the deep as with a garment, the waters stood above the mountains. At thy rebuke they fled, at thy, the voice of thy thunder they hastened away. They go up by the mountains, they go down by the valleys into the place which thou hast founded for them. Thou hast set a bound that they may not pass over, that they turn not again in, in, to cover the earth. He sendeth the springs into the valleys which rung among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild asses quench their thirst. By them shall the fowls of the heaven have their habitation, which sing among the branches. He watereth the hills from his chambers, the earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy works. He causeth the grass to grow for the cattle, and herb for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth, and wine that maketh glad the heart of man, and oil to make his face to shine, and bread which strengtheneth man's heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon, which he hath planted. Where the birds make their nests, as for the stork, the fir trees are her house. The high hills are a refuge for the wild goats, and the rocks for the conies. He appointed the moon for seasons, the sun knoweth his going down. Thou makest darkness, and it is night, wherein all the beasts of the forest do creep forth. The young lions roar after their prey, and seek their meat from God. The sun ariseth, that they gather themselves together, and lay them down in their dens. Man goeth forth unto his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are thy works! In wisdom thou hast made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. So is this great and wide sea, wherein are are things creeping innumerable, both small and great beasts. There go the ships. There, There is that Leviathan, whom thou hast made to play therein. These wait all upon thee, that thou mayest give them their meat in due season. That thou givest them they gather, thou openest thine hand, they are filled with good. Thou hidest thy face, they are troubled. Thou takest away their breath, they die and return to their dust. Thou sendest forth thy spirit, they are created. Thou renewest the face of the earth, the glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall reduce, rejoice in his works. He looketh on the earth and it trembleth. He toucheth the hills and they smoke. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will praise. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Let the sinners be consumed out of the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless thou the Lord, O my soul. Praise ye the Lord. Now that's quite a passage. If you realize, first of all, that, you know, I'm sure you do, that it is primarily talks about creation. You can see the first part of of this Psalm 104 talks about creation and then it moves into some uh, explanation of how things are actually operating. But you'll notice at every place through this, over and over again, God is directly causing what happens. How do all of these various creatures get their food? How do they get uh, the meat for the lions? How do they get the, everything that is provided for them? is directly, in this psalm, explained that it's provided by God. It does not just happening. They don't just stumble upon it. God gives it to them. In fact, it goes on further to say that when he chooses, they die. He holds the, takes the breath from them, they die. If he looks on them, the, things are good. If he turns his face from them, things fall apart. If he wants a volcano to erupt, a volcano erupts. Smoking in the mountains all of these things god directly controls that's what psalm 104 is saying just a little bit of a tidbit big picture for us to get into this in a little smaller way all right paragraph 1 god the good creator of all things his infinite in his infinite power and wisdom he does uphold direct dispose and govern all creatures and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence to the end for for the which they were created according unto his infallible foreknowledge, and the free and immutable counsel of his own will, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. Now that sounds pretty straightforward and pretty basic. There's a lot of, of, that's kind of like a really, really long run-on sentence. But the point is, is that this is pretty succinct about what God's providence means. You just don't see it as much when you see it in this big picture here. So we're going to break it down. So first of all, we're going to talk about who is the author of providence. Well, paragraph one begins with God, the good creator of all things. So who is the author of divine providence? Only one who is divine, which is God, God. God is good. Notice it's God, the good creator. His plan is good. The way he orders it is good. We can't somehow say, because God causes things to go the way that they do, and we don't think it's a good idea, that God, therefore, is not good. Man, I can think of, i got a hundred ideas popping in my head right now for examples. The war with Israel and Hamas. God is good. President Joe Biden, God is good. Governor Gretchen Whitmer, God is good. Now, why am I saying those things? Because I know some of you don't like those things. You don't like those things. Donald Trump, God is good. God is good, regardless of what we think of what his plan is. do Do you think, even though They knew the scripture, in some fashion, at least. And then he told them over and over again that the disciples weren't shocked that he was crucified. They were. They wanted to go fight. And then they couldn't believe this was happening. They were afraid. Peter denied Christ. Why? He was afraid. He was afraid. You think that they didn't think at that time this is how could this happen? This is terrible? Or those who didn't know, newly converted. They're following Christ. Now they see, dies on the cross. You think they didn't call out to God and ask, why God? Why is this happening? How could you let this happen? That's Christ. We do the same thing with so many insignificant things. It's unbelievable. Why did you let me get a flat tire? God, I had to be someplace. Hmm. He is the creator of all things. As creator, it's within his authority, completely within his authority, to determine what he orders in his creation. Does God have the right to control everything? Of course he does. He is creator. He did not set up man to be equal with God. We are still his creation. We are not at his level. We are adopted as children, but that is children. Not equal with God. Not equal. Genesis 1, 1 and 31. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, And then in 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So God called all of creation very good. Acts 17, 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Who is God? He is Lord of heaven and earth. Why is he Lord of heaven and earth? The beginning of the verse says, because he made the world and all the things therein. Colossians 1.16, For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. He created everything for him. Not for you. Not for us. This seems hard to believe. But you better believe it. Because God's word says it. He created you for him, not for you. He didn't create you so that you could get what you wanted and so that you would be happy all the time. It's not true. Colossians 1.16 counters that directly. Romans 8.28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. His purpose. So does that mean that everyone who's a believer gets to have everything they want? No, it's according to his purpose. And I can guarantee you that part of what his purpose is, is for believers to suffer. Why? Because the scripture tells us that we grow spiritually through suffering. We grow closer to him. We grow away from the flesh and towards spiritual perfection because of suffering. James 1 lays out the path very clearly. Lays it right out. Have we not seen how many believers through history have suffered, and their death, their persecution, their struggle is what actually caused a huge shift in Christ's kingdom? Absolutely. Did the apostles suffer? Absolutely. Did it stop them? No. Until they were killed. Right? Them then. But their influence and what they did with growing the church continued through the suffering. Did Christ need to suffer? He did. He did need to suffer. If he had not suffered and been killed, we would not have salvation. So, suffering is part of the plan. It's part of the plan. That's what's going to happen. When you suffer, you should not jump to the conclusion that it's because you sinned. When you suffer, you should not jump to the conclusion that it's because you sinned. You may have sinned. Undoubtedly, you are sinning, right? But the reason that you are suffering may not be directly caused by that sin. It could be because God just wants that to happen for somebody else. It may have nothing to do with you. Now, could you come through that suffering stronger, more reliant on him if you turn to him through it? Yes. Or if you don't learn that lesson and that suffering happens to you, and then actually you start becoming more resistant to God, and then he has to cause more suffering and chastise you, as the word says he will, until you actually grow closer to him again? Well, could that happen? Sure it could. And you know why? It will happen if it's his plan. It will. How many people have you known that you saw them go through difficulties, you go through struggles, whether it is just regular struggles of life, whether it's an illness, whether it's death, these different people that you know, and you see them progress through those things, and it taught you something. Right? You think, I wanna, that's how I should react when that happens. That's, I want, that's Christ-like right there. See, God may have used their suffering to help you. one of the ways that he used that suffering. Could it be more than that? Could be a lot more than that? How do you know? Right? Look, I I know of people who got saved at funerals. A funeral wouldn't have happened unless the person died. (laughs) You with me? Look, if somebody that you knew was not saved... And you found out that if you were to die, they would get saved at your funeral. Would you not die? Hmm. We're not in control. He is. We shouldn't be questioning the suffering. It's his will, and it's going to be carried out according to his purpose, not ours. His. Now the difficulty is, is that we don't know his purpose. We can see big picture in the scripture, right? We see big picture. But our individual lives, we don't know. We think. We think maybe this is what God wants to have happen. And then is there anything in life that you can say has gone exactly how you thought it would go if it's a big thing in life? Almost nothing goes exactly how you think it could go. Almost everything goes a different way than you think it would go. And sometimes you know the reason why, and it was better than what you thought. And sometimes you don't know the reason why. True? Difficult, but true. The foundation of providence. Well, God created in his infinite power and wisdom. His infinite power and wisdom. Well, first, this is just a reflection of the fact that God has no limit. His power and wisdom are infinite. There is no limit to his power. There is no limit to his wisdom. Infinite power means that his plans cannot be thwarted or frustrated, right? So in other words, if God is God and he has infinite power as God, then that would mean that we cannot change his plan. We can't thwart his plan. We can't stop his plan from happening. Why? He's God. If we could stop that from happening, he's not God. It's pretty much that simple. God's providence flows from his power and wisdom and are due to his unchanging characteristics. They also reflect his holiness. That means God's providence is holy. If God is the very definition of holy, which the scripture tells us over and over, he is holy. If God is the definition of holy, then his plan is holy. But what about Attila the Hun, Saddam Hussein, Adolf Hitler, Jeffrey Dahmer? You name it, bad guys. It's God's plan, and it's His holy plan, and it's His wise plan. Why did He want it to be carried out that way? We don't know. We can guess, we could surmise, we could say we think. We don't know. Why did Rome? conquer most of the civilized world in its time not all but most why well one reason that we believe why is because Rome by establishing trade routes and roads actually set up for the gospel to be sent around the known world at the time easily no Rome no roads no Rome no trade routes Why did God raise up Greece and then let it fall, or cause it to fall? better. Why? Don't know. Many reasons, probably. Right? Same with Rome. Many reasons. But one of the reasons? what became the standard language that was known almost around the entire world? so far east to be the exception. Greek. Greek but Greece didn't conquer the world and set up established trade routes and roads. Greece was regional. But the language spread. The language spread. Was that the only reason for Greece? Probably not. Undoubtedly not. Is it possible that when these big things happen, nations rise, nations fall, catastrophes happen, that God is in control? There isn't a question that God's in control. Of course he's in control. You think he's surprised? Can't be. He's not God if he's surprised. Does that makes sense? He's not surprised. He's not surprised. He knows. Let's keep going. John 11, 79. Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? It is as high as heaven. What canst thou do? Deeper than hell? What canst thou know? The measure thereof is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. So can you figure out everything about God by just looking around? No, you can't. Why? It's greater than any measurement we have. God is greater than anything. So this, is, this reference is just saying he's higher than the heaven, he's deeper than the ocean, he's wider than the earth. Why? He's bigger than all of that. How can you possibly know completely who God is? You can't. You can't. We have his word, which, by the way, you can carry in your hand, You didn't have to drive a semi-truck here with all of God's words in the back because it's so big. He gave us his words, and it's enough. It's enough about who he is and how he's operated, how he's going to operate, and what it means to you. All in there. Continuing in paragraph one, he does uphold, direct, dispose, and govern. So we already established that we start by talking about creation, and God is good. Now it says, he does uphold, direct, dispose, and governor. Obviously, this is kind of the root of the providence. Everything that has happened since the dawn of creation is because God brings it to pass. Everything that has happened since the dawn of creation is because God brings it to pass. You mean everything? Everything. Everything. Hmm. Percolate on that for a minute. Let your brain cook on that, your noodle cook on that a little bit. Providence is the how God accomplishes things. God directs all things. He's not reacting. That'd be open theism. God is directing and everyone... So in other words, God is directing and everyone else responds. God is not reacting to us. We are reacting to God. Does that make sense? The opposite view, open theism, is that God is just reacting to what's going on, like that course correction... You know, he wants to see what man is going to do, and then he'll just react to it. And that's the whole idea, by the way, of those who believe that salvation is completely of man and not of God. Because the idea is, is that God waits to see, oh, he's going to get saved? Okay, well, then I'll write him in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'll call him elect before the foundation of the earth. That's God reacting to us, not us reacting to God. So who is running things in that way, in that scenario? Is it us, or is it God? I mean, if it's us, doesn't that mean that theoretically somebody who God didn't intend to get saved could get saved? And somebody that God wanted to get saved didn't get saved? Because it's up to us, not up to him? Hmm. Kind of a problem, isn't it? Big problem. Dispose means to arrange all things. So it says uphold, direct, dispose. Dispose means to arrange things. That's what dispose means. These four words cover the entire scope of God's providence. Uphold, direct, dispose, govern. Now, the paragraph's going to go on and explain that a little bit, but those four words are the basic definition, the entire scope, I should say, of God's providence. So let's look at a few passages. Hebrews 1.3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He upholds all things. Hebrews 1.3 specifically says it. Job 38.11. Listen to this. This gives an idea of God upholding things and controlling things like that. And said, thereunto shalt thou come, but no further, and there shall thy proud waves be stayed? Question mark. In other words, he's saying, can God, Can, can basically, can, is, who controls the waves? God controls the waves. Can man stop the waves? No, can't. Colossians 1.17, And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Colossians 1.17, let me read that again. And he, Jesus Christ, is before all things. Exists before all things. And by him all things consist. Things do not continue to exist to be the way they are, except for Christ. Acts seventeen twenty-five to 27. Neither is worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And if made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord If happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Well, this is a pretty full passage of scripture here, which we often read right past. Verse 25 says, He giveth to all life and breath and all things. So everything that you have came directly from God. You did not produce any of it. He gave it to you. Have you ever done something expecting a return and not gotten the return? Anyone ever not experienced that yet? Like, if I do this, then I'll get this. And sometimes you don't. True? Who controlled that? God. God, You didn't control it. God controlled it. If you controlled it, you'd have got what you wanted. But you didn't. Then in verse 26, Hath determined the times before appointed in the bounds of their habitation. All of mankind. And by the way, notice in verse, in verse 26, And hath made of one blood... All nations of men for for to dwell on the face of the earth. Let me just clarify, just say this here, because we're in this, for the last about four or five years, we've been in this continual attempt to split us apart, to cause divisions among the American people by claiming issues about race. We are one race. Humankind is the race. We are not different races. We may have different levels of pigmentation in our skin we may have different physical characteristics we may live in different places around the earth we may have different cultures we are still one blood one blood one now does that mean that people don't act different sure of course they do of course they do and who determined where people were going to be where they were going to dwell god verse 26 right there in fact He determined the times before, appointed the bounds of their habitation. He decided where they're going to live, where they were going to be. They say, well, I mean, really? (laughs) You know what? When God decided that everyone shouldn't live together, what did he do? He changed their brains and made them start speaking in a different language. Tower of Babel. The nations were divided then, one people, until then, until then. And then God miraculously intervened and caused a separation of languages. Look, you can say, you, let me just warn you about this. Whenever you see somebody, I don't care who they are, and I don't care what good intentions they have, what great intentions they have, of trying to explain this. But they try to explain away the miracles of the scripture by coming up with a natural way that it occurred, or to say that somehow it wasn't quite what the scriptures say, little examining you know, exaggeration in the scripture. It's not quite right. You need that should be a huge red flag to you. A huge red flag to you. Because every time somebody does that, what they're explaining away is God's miraculous power. Now, if you haven't heard some of that, I have. I can't believe you haven't. This is where the day-age theory comes out from creation. Oh, well, God didn't actually create everything in six days. He used evolution to cause everything to come into existence. So when the Bible says the evening and the morning were the first day, it meant the evening and the morning were the first million years. Or 100 million years. Because, by the way, that's how it works out. They can't explain it away in six days or 6,000 years or anything else. It has to be a longer time than that. You need to realize that that person is coming up with an excuse to make God not God. They're coming up with an excuse to make God not God. So, Tower of Babel. No explanation for that. There's no explanation for how these people suddenly spoke a different language and separated themselves. It's miraculous. Raining fire as hail from heaven in the plagues of Egypt. I've heard that explained. Well, there was a volcano off an island of Italy. Never ever in recorded history is there volcanoes that have caused fire to transport a 1,000 miles. Can't happen, cannot happen. How about the water turning to blood? Well, it was another eruption and that caused this ash and rocks Molten rocks from a volcano to get into the water, and that turned the water so it looked like red. Well, first of all, the scripture says that it was blood. And it was also in their pots. Kind of hard to explain that one away, isn't it? See, when someone tries to explain away God, that's exactly what they're actually attending is to explain away God. Uh, Like I said, they could be, you know, oh, we found this out. Where, you know, oh, we realized that, no, they didn't mean the Red Sea. It was the Reed Sea. And what happened is their chariots got stuck. They got stuck in the mud. Have you heard that one? Yeah, they they crossed in the Reed Sea, which is another place, the Reed Sea, and it's shallow. It's a marsh. And they got stuck. That's what happened. Oh, that's interesting. So, What about the fact that the scripture says that the waves were parted? That they walked on dry ground. They gathered rocks as they went on the dry ground. And then when the Pharaoh's chariots went into the water, they were covered with the water. Their wheels weren't stuck in the mud. They were buried under the walls of water. Now, that, by the way, that Reed Sea theory, you hardly hear it at all anymore. Why? Well, because there has been Christian archaeological digs, it's called, still called a dig, it's weird, but still called the dig, under the Red Sea where they found many, many chariots that are Egyptian in the middle of the Red Sea. Can't explain it. They don't have an explanation. Did they fall off of ships that were on the Red Sea? Maybe. Or maybe they were covered with walls of water at the parting of the Red Sea so they don't talk about the Reed C theory very much anymore. There's kind of some evidence that maybe that wasn't where it was. But you see what I'm saying, right? So let's be really careful, because when we read a passage like this and we see what it says, we can't think that somehow, well, maybe it doesn't quite mean that. Maybe it doesn't quite mean that he is in control of all things. Maybe it doesn't quite mean that he actually is the one who dictates the course of human events. Now, the confession actually addresses what I just said, kind of like I steal my own thunder all the time. But it is going to address it subsequently, shortly here. I don't know if we'll get to it today or next week. But you're going to see that we're going to talk about what methods God uses to enact his providence. Sometimes it's direct or supernatural intervention. Tower of Babel. Right? Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's because he has established things happening so that they will just go that way. Do you see what I'm saying? All right. Psalm 16, verses 1 and 9. The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. A man's heart devises his ways, but the Lord directeth his steps. Who is the one that directs man's ways? God. God. Daniel 2, 20 and 21, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons, he removeth kings, and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise, and knowledge to them that know understanding. Do the people gain wisdom of themselves? No, God gives it to them. Does the king put himself in power? Even though he thinks he did, the scriptures are very clear, no, he did not. God did. God did. And by the way, if we don't recognize that that's the case, you're going to get very depressed every time there's an election because it's not going to turn out the way you wanted it. Well, how do you know? Does it ever turn out the way you want it? Is it ever the right people in the right places exactly how you want it? No, it's not. It never is. For anyone Why? Because you've devised in your own mind how you would like it to be. But God controls the outcome. It's just that simple. God controls it. We don't. So, what do we do? Accept it. Accept it. You know, I. You can't help it here, you know, all the time. Things are getting so bad. I don't know what's going to happen. Things are getting so bad. I'm glad I'm not going to be around too much longer. Things are getting so bad. I'm not sure I should have kids, bring them into this world. I've heard all these things. Have you? Have you heard believers talk like that? I have. I've heard unbelievers talk like that. Yeah. You know what? I remember hearing that when I was in my teenage years. And that was a long time ago. Oh, man, things are going so badly. Look what happened in Vietnam. Look what happened with the presidency. We had a president resign. Oh, man, this is something else. Now Jimmy Carter's in office. Look at this thing going on. The economy is going terrible. We can't get gas anymore. This is it. The Lord's coming back. He didn't come back. It was almost 50 years ago. 50 years ago. What did the apostles do? at the Mount of Olives what did they do they sat there waiting they waited until what happened anybody remember you know only one place in Scripture tells Christ ascended from the same place he's gonna return Mount of Olives but here's my question for you what got the apostles up and moving You remember an angel An angel had to appear to them literally and tell them, what are you sitting around here? Go do as he said. Paraphrase, but that's what he said. Go do what he told you to do. They thought Christ was going to return. This is going to be, he's going to go, don't know how long. He's going to come back. Let's just hang out here. We'll watch it. You know what? They thought it was going to happen then. You think during the times of all these major problems in history that they didn't think that maybe the time is near? I'm sure they did. Remember I talked about the Antoine Plague some time ago that happened in the early church, 300 A.D.? What happened, or 200 A.D.? What happened to the church? How many people died? What percentage of the population in the world died? You think they didn't think that could happen? How about the Black Plague? How about Islam when it was spreading into Europe, overtaking countries? Think they didn't think it could be the end of the world? Here it is. This is it. How about World War I? How about World War II? This is the end. Here we go. How about the Cold War with Russia, and then it starts heating up in the 60s? Right? Well, guess what? We're still here. We're still here. And are things going the way we'd like them to go? Is there anybody that can say, yes, things are going the way you'd like it to go? No, there's not. everything's not going the way you'd like it to go. You'd like to see things go differently. But God is still on the throne, he's still in charge, and he still has a plan, and it may be that he's not coming back for a thousand years. That's it. We are commanded not to hunker down. Commanded. Why? Because we're commanded to do all these things that involves you not being hunkered down. What was the Great Commission? Was it not to spread the gospel, make disciples? Was that not it? Yeah. How do you do that from the bunker? Right? You can't. Let's move on. So, he upholds, directs, disposes, and governs, what? All creatures and things, from the greatest even to the least. So he controls all things. Providential control extends to all creatures and things that's living and non-living. There are no parts of creation that's outside his control behind his grease. God is in the details, not the devil. Heard the phrase? The devil's in the details? Which usually is a reference to, like, there's going to be problems if we don't get the details right. That's usually what that reference is. But the reality is, is that God is in the details of everything in life. That means that the mosquito that bit you, God controlled. So you want to think big to small, right? That means that when the guy is driving past you and a rock shoots out from his car and hits you in the leg, God controlled the rock. Almost happened to me yesterday. Home Depot parking lot parked right next to the gate entry waiting for a delivery to come out. And I was standing there. And this guy with a trailer pulled past. And a rock this big shot out from his trailer, from the tires, and hit a sign that was right next to me, broke the sign. (laughs) Could have been me. I was right there. And he he didn't do anything wrong. Clearly, it was a rock that was stuck in his tire. There was nothing in the trailer. (laughs) God's in control of the rock. And it could have hit me. And God was still in control of the rock. Let's look at some scriptures. Isaiah 46, 10 and 11, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. God has decided what's going to happen and he will cause it to happen. He does not say, and man will do it. He says, I will do it. Psalm 135, 6, Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that He did, did he in heaven and in earth and in the seas and in all the deep places. Where is it that God doesn't do as he pleases? <laughs> Nowhere. He does what he pleases everywhere. Matthew 10, 29 to 31, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. Who's in control of the sparrows? God is in control of the sparrows. In fact, Christ, who's speaking this time, uses the birds several times as references. The birds don't gather together food for the winter, yet they don't starve and die. God provides for them. If he provides for the birds, wouldn't he provide for you? Yes. Right? Obviously. Daniel 4, 35, And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? So you want to be smart? Don't question God. Don't question God. What are you doing, God? Don't do that. Don't do that. Now, if you're in a struggle, you're in a difficulty, having a hard time with what's going on for one particular situation or another whatever you're in that place what you can call to god is help me to trust you more please give me grace to be how you would want me to be in this situation to act as you would have me act in this situation you see see the difference between that and god why are you doing this because that's calling God's motion, God's motives and God's actions into question versus questioning your own submission to him, which is what we should really do. That's where we should be. We should be just questioning our own submission to him if we are resisting or upset about what he's doing. Matthew 6, 25 and 26. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you're Ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body. What ye shall put on is not the life more than the meat, and the body more than the raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Okay, so there's the passage I was referring to right there. So you see what he's saying. Why are you worried about what you're going to, God taking care of you? He takes care of the birds. Aren't you worth more to him than the birds? Of course. Of course. Proverbs 21.1 The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it, whithersoever he will. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He turns it however he will. Do you ever see a president, a king, a governor, a somebody who all of a sudden does something that's like out of character for them? You're like, where'd that come from? I agree with that one. <laughs> right? That kind of thing. Right? Or somebody you do agree with most of the time, and you're like, where'd that come from? Where are they doing that? Doesn't that happen? Who is controlling the king? God. 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 Has God taken kings out of power? Yeah. He definitely has. Sometimes it's through normal processes like elections. Other times it's through assassinations. Other times it's through death in office. Other times it's through resignation and embarrassment. You think God cannot control this? I mean, you may not like the governor, the president, your representative, your senators, whatever. Is God in control or not? And... And if we accept then that he is in control, then why are we upset over what's happening? Like, why is it even, I understand why people get upset over things, but why does it bother us believers? Because we know that God's in control. We know that he is the one who's actually controlling how things are occurring. You know, I don't know, I don't know why believers have a hard time with this, but it's like somehow they forget the fact that we are not living in the new heaven and new earth. Christ is not physically sitting on the throne here, ruling over us so that nobody does anything wrong. We're still in the fallen world. We're still in the the same fallen world that crucified Christ. That's where we live. We're still there. Things are not going to go well here. They're not going to go well. And when you do see something go well, praise God, You should praise him for that, because most of the time it doesn't. Does it? I can tell you, like, at work, we're pleasantly surprised when something goes really well the first time. Because it's like there's always something that goes on. There's always a problem. There's always something that, you know, somebody throws a monkey wrench into the room. Oh, I changed my mind. I want to do it this way now. Something like that. It always happens, like, regularly. So when we get something that goes, like, you do this. We go do this. It works perfect. The first time it's easy. It's like, wow, that was great. <laughs> We're like surprised because it went really well. This is the way it is here. We're in the fallen world. We can't expect that everything is going to go how it would if there was no sin. Does that make sense? We we are still in a world with sin. Things are still not going to go bad. They're still going to go bad. They're not going to go good. The curse was man is going to work by the sweat of his brow. The ground would yield thistles and thorns. Did he want to grow thistles and thorns? No. So it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be hard. It's not going to go well. There are going to be difficulties. Do you think the curse on a woman was just that it's going to be painful when she actually has a child? And that's where it ended? Is there any woman here who's had children? who believes that from the moment of birth until they were adults, there was never a problem. (laughs) There was a problem within the first year. There was a problem within the first couple of weeks, probably. (laughs) Maybe they weren't in control the first couple of weeks. But after that, sometime, there was a point where you saw the first time that they actually did something that was sinful in their own will. You observe this as a mother and as a father. You observe these things, right? They're sinners. They're little sinners, but they're sinners. And then how does that progress from there? Do they get perfect then? Nope. No. See, the pain of childbirth lasts beyond the birthing, doesn't it? And do you think that that only extends to the mother? So super easy for the guys, never had a problem dealing with your kids. But the women, they're the ones that have all the problems. dealing with No problem for us. That's great for us. No, you'll have problems too. And for the woman, does that mean that all the work that she does She didn't didn't have any problems. Everything went smooth. It wasn't by the sweat of her brow. Her work didn't sometimes yield bad results. (laughs) I must be joking, right? Yeah. Because everyone knows that life is a struggle, isn't it? Because we're in a sinful world. We should not expect that everything is going to go perfectly. God is controlling what's happening, but the struggle is part of it. It's part of what he has decided will happen. Should we trust him? We should. What if, passage right here, what if the king does something that's not very godly? Does that mean God's not in control anymore? It cannot mean that, can it? Because he's not God. If God is God, then clearly he controls our political leaders. He controls your children. He controls your lives. He controls all those things. He controls if the ground yields forth weeds or beautiful tomatoes. God is in control. He's in control. Does that mean that we should just be happy when it goes good and unhappy when it goes bad? No, it's quite the opposite, isn't it? We should be content. That's the truth. And we should praise God. That's the truth. That's what we have to work with, and that's what we have to struggle with, is to be more like that. That's where we'll end for today. Let's close in a word of prayer.